Welcome to Free For All, an episode-by-episode podcast about one of the most endlessly fascinating television shows ever made, The Prisoner. Each week we'll be taking an in-depth look at the 17 episodes of The Prisoner. I'm Chris Bainbridge, Senior Lecturer in Broadcast and Creative Media, and I'm also a Prisoner devotee. And I'm Kai Ross, a film writer, restaurateur, and Chris's mate, which is how I got this gig. So, welcome back to a special episode on the books of The Prisoner. Exactly, exactly. The further reading episode. So, we're going to look at some factual books on the production process and behind-the-scenes story synopsis, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. We're going to look at some graphic novels and some fiction. Yes. I mean, um, it did have a very sort of successful second life uh, in a literary sense, didn't it? It's not just the, the things it inspired, literal Actual adaptations. We've got comic book out of Marvel, took a crack. Mm, Jack Kirby. And all sorts. And just books about The Prisoner. I mean, there's just a, a heaving shelf of it. I want to start with this one. This one, he said in a podcast, <laughs> pointing to something. This is, this is it's The Prisoner. It just says The Prisoner. Well, it's called. It's actually called The Prisoner, a televisionary masterpiece. Yes. By uh, Alain which, Carazé and Hélène Oswald. Indeed, which was originally published in uh, in French in 1989. I got this in 1992 mm. for the 25th anniversary. My mum, well, the fact that I was watching nothing but The Prisoner probably tipped her off to what to get me for Christmas. <laughs> and lo and behold, this mighty tome yes. showed up. And I, I you know, we, do, you, do you ever do this? I, I remember I hated Pink Floyd. <laughs> and um, because the the video for Another Break in a Voice just scared the hell out of me, inflatable teacher and 40-year-old men shouting. So I thought that's what Pink Floyd were, and I sort of heard a few bits of uh, Dark Side, and my wife got me the mm. uh, best of Echoes. And I got that, and I listened to nothing but Pink Floyd for about six months. I had just got all by, by, the, by March, I think, yeah. I had everything. And it was the same with this. I didn't read anything other than this for about four straight months after Christmas. Yeah. So every, it was by the bed all the time. And it's a wonderful book. It's a... Uh, I'm going to be a little bit critical after the fact, but it's kind of bulked out a little bit with rather long episode, not so much synopses, mm. it's almost like semi-treatments. It's not the scripts themselves, but just passages and dialogue. And then a, a slightly small conclusion for each episode. But there are some essays within this. There are some wonderful essays. Yeah. I yes. mean, Isaac Asimov contributes. He does, yes. I think that was a, that was, it may have been published uh, from a different book, but... Yeah, Roland Torpor, Roger Langley, who's uh, known in prisoner circles, Jacques Strabo. It's got a very, I mean, Christian Durant as well. His 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 essays mm. absolutely fantastic. But it's got that very French. It's almost like a, a, a it's something you have to go through to get any kind of critical kudos. Yeah, is to have the French. It's like you know Hitchcock was actually a bit of a you know a, a maker of schlock really until <laughs> until Truffaut got hold of him and carried cinema and suddenly he was a, a, a god of cinema. Yeah, it's almost like well it's gone it's passed the French test and suddenly uh, it's wonderful. I mean one of the other great things about this book is the photography. Mm. I mean I've already shown you that uh, I put it on Twitter that picture of Mary Morris in Port Merion. These big and the photographs look like photographs as well. Yes. That, that, that lovely. Late sixties, seventies, codachrome color. It's it's not. It's, nothing's taken by a mobile phone at all. You know, it's, it's, these look absolutely big, rich, vibrant colors. And there's a quite a nice mix of color and black and white yes, images yes. within this. There's a lovely chapter as well on the press conference. Yes, which I think we've mentioned briefly. I don't know if you saw, but uh, basically, I think it was while they were making while they were making 
living in harmony hmm. in the set of Once Upon a Time <laughs> yes. and dressed in a kosho uh, outfit. Patrick McGowan basically stood there for an hour not answering any questions whatsoever. Yeah. It was wonderful. And so fairly baffled, but above all frustrated, the journalists were taken back to London. There's a rather <laughs> nice buffet there, as well, I note. The, the one thing that sets this book apart from some of the other books is that it doesn't rely on the op- episode synopsis or discussion of the episodes. There's a lot more involved in this. And I think if you're, uh, you know, if you're an academic or a researcher, this is a really good book to have. Yeah. Because some of the essays within this are, are quite thought-provoking. Yeah, and also the stuff afterwards. There's a very good chapter on Danger Man, because mm. I didn't know anything about Danger Man, really. But, uh, no, same, same. But when that, so that was my key into Danger Man. But the production... Not so much production notes, but the story of the production is pretty, uh, pretty well told too. And of course, the other great selling point yeah. is that it has a very rare interview with Patrick McGowan. It does, yes, which starts off the book. It's only after realizing this. It's only after doing the podcast you realize how very few interviews he did. Mm. And and watching the Chris Rodley documentary in my mind, he's been teasing information out of it. It's like trying to. The crowbarring of, of information out of Patrick McGowan until finally it's sort of the slow release. Yeah. It was hard. So this is to actually have him sat down and actually talking specifically about the prisoner is a rare treat. There's nothing new there. He doesn't let anything no. new slip, no, does no, he? No, 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 no. But, but as I say, it was my first prisoner book and it'll mm. always have a special place in my heart. But it's a good first book. Mm. It's a good base. You probably won't get anything much out of it that you haven't already got from this podcast, frankly. Interestingly enough, though, he says within the interview at the beginning of the book is that there'll be no sequel, which is quite interesting considering Alexis Canna's comments. Yes, yes. Well, I think I think I think we've learned that there's, there's an awful lot of um, mm. legend creating by an awful lot of the protagonists of this uh, of this show. <laughs> I was going to be the only number two, were you? <laughs> And again, and I, and I know we've said this, but I think the, the only people we can really kind of rely on are McGowan and Markstein, and even yes. they contradict each other. Yes. One of the quotes in this is, I had the chance to do something as nutty as I did, a chance that might come only once in a lifetime. Mm. If I was an idiot, so be it. Yes. So that was lovely. <laughs> so are you a prisoner? Of course, but on parole. <laughs> and as I say, we seeing you. It is worth noting that his answers get shorter as the interview goes on. Well, until 2002, that French book we discussed would have been the definitive go-to book for The Prisoner until a friend of the show and delightful fellow, uh, Rob Fairclough. Yes. Robert Fairclough, to give him his uh, proper name, came out with the, The Prisoner, the official companion to the classic TV series, which is, I would say, probably now the definitive and Mm. still remains the, basically the go-to first thing you buy. If you've, if you've loved this episode but you haven't got any books about it, this is the one you get. I would like to say we're not on commission. Oh, I thought we were. Sorry. <laughs> well, I thought it was like 15%. Pretty sure we, we agree. No, I mean, it's, and it is absolutely wonderful. Well, this is, one, this is the reason we got in contact with, with Robert in the first place, wasn't it? Because of this book. We yes. reached out to him and he, he's very gracious in giving us his time to have a chat about the books and various things. Mm. I mean, it, it does, I mean, in far more depth, I have to say, it goes into each episode uh, with a lot of back, it's got a nice kind of format for the episode structure, mm. who's number two, who's number six, information, all that sort of stuff. So each one, it's got a good format. 
but he he goes into it with a lot more uh, analysis, and it's informed analysis. Like mm-hmm. he, he really does know an awful lot about this. He's done books also on the Sweeney. Callum, yeah, he's, but also he's he's a, he's a graphic designer, yeah, and yeah, which is evident within this book. I mean, on page six, ironically, yes, there's this wonderful piece of art <laughs> of of the uh, headshot of the prisoner and the butler and the president and Luke McKerns. So it's it's a shot from Fallout. Mm. You can rip that out and frame it yeah. on your wall, couldn't you? So yeah, he is he's he's steeped in ITC law, mm. and you know, and it, and it shows. So this is this is a guy who clearly knows what he's talking about, uh, and his his research is absolutely peerless as well. So this would have been produced for the thirty fifth anniversary, wouldn't it? In two thousand and two, yes, it would have been. And it's uh, published by Carlton Books. Who at Carl- the time they had yeah. the rights, they had my my DVD. They did the DVD set, didn't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But there's a lot more of the after all the episodes and uh, the production history and everything. Mm. There's a lot more sort of uh, sort of even he's got a this is, talk about meta. There's a, there's a further reading session in our further reading podcast. So he's uh, <laughs> <laughs> he also talks about the laughing prisoner, which is wonderful. Shattered visage. I mean the history of the DVDs and the videos you can buy. It's it's absolutely. I mean it'd be nice possibly to see a. An updated version. Yes, I was going to say that, maybe uh, for the 60th. Exactly, because there's been you know, further developments. And it's a great read as well. It's mm. not overly academic. It's You don't even have to have... Yeah, it's accessible, isn't it? Yeah, you don't even... Frankly, you don't even... You could read this before watching the show. Yeah. And then you'd be just vibrating with excitement to actually watch the episodes. But no, it's 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 it remains, for me, I think, the definitive prisoner a guidebook. And there's some lovely photos that, I mean, up until this point, I had never seen. I mean, I had the French book, I had the Jaffer Ali and Matthew White book mm. uh, and various other ones. But, you know, there are, there's photography within here that, that I think is exclusive to this to this book. Yeah. It's a box of confetti in terms of the, the visual, absolute kaleidoscope of, of bright coloured photography yeah. and everything it's just and yeah there's, there's, there are photos in here I've never seen anywhere since mm. before or after but one thing I do like about this book is that the you know it, it'll off, it'll give you one two three four about four pages per episode and the synopsis and the director and the writer are basically just kind of at the top of page one yeah and the rest is um, given over to trivia information about the show You've got a little sidebar for the cast list, colour photos from the episode, some design, some of Jack Champagne's production paintings, design sketches, that kind of thing. Yes. Information about the prisoners, little tidbits and stuff like that, which I think, unlike the French book, which is very... It's a bit of a hard read sometimes, the French book, because it's quite academic in its yeah, uh, approach. It, yeah. This is very accessible, but also gives you the same kind of awareness oh, and uh, yeah, bits um, of information. Well, and and more. I mean, mm. there's just, it's even literally within the margins, you'll find uh, glorious little uh, tidbits of information. Yeah, like the Tally Ho headlines. Yeah. <laughs> which I love. <laughs> so, yes, if you, um, if you haven't bought this, buy it and. <laughs> yeah, buy it just in time for a new version to come out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the highlight for me is on page 122, which is a two-page spread, <laughs> kind of like a cross-section of the village, isn't it? Yeah. Painted by Graham Bleethman. And it's amazing because it has all the surface-level elements. Yeah, and also the, shows you underneath as well. All the subterranean stuff. He's even got the bit where, sort of, where Rover comes out yes. and sort of shrivels. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Number 22. Yes. 
So it's quite nice. The thought that's gone into it. He yeah. must have thought, well, when they do go down into the where whereabouts in the village are they? Yes. He's, he's probably in his. He's probably just drawn charts on a blackboard while watching it. And thinking, well, no, they can't be too far over there. Well, it's nice to know where the supervisor does his business. Oh, there he is. Yeah, yeah. he's not too far from the gift shop. No. He's not. <laughs> I'm surprised. The only thing that surprised me about this is uh, number 18, which is the um, prisoner's house, mm. is labelled as 18, not number 6. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> trick there. Yeah. But it also gives you, um, it gives you context to where the recreation slash exhibition hall is. Yes, of course. But of course, as we know, the, the geography of the, no, the village no, 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 is, is no. an odd one and anyway, isn't it? There's the hospital. That should be one of those. That could be a glorious birthday card or a chart on the wall. It's wonderful. Another interesting one is that we've mentioned uh, before. It's called Inside the Prisoner, which was uh, written by Ian Rakoff, who, as we know, co-wrote or initially wrote completely uh, Living in Harmony, but he was also the uh, an editor, wasn't he? And he wrote this book about his experience making it. And it's, 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 a, very, it's a good book. It's fascinating. It's got a lovely forward by Nicholas Rogue which is worth buying for, mm. to, simply for that. But it, it, it's, it's slightly misleading in a way because it's, got, it's, all, it's caked in the prisoner insignia. It's all about the prisoner. Actually, it's, it's, it's a lot about his experience also with Lindsay Anderson yeah, and yeah. His, his kind of the life The prisoner is general. only a, a certain section it, of it, the book. It plays, it? A, it plays a very important part. But mm. it's, uh, and there's, some, there's, there's much to learn. But it's, it's I mean, really, I suppose the prisoner was the catalyst for Rakoff, though, yes, in terms yes. of his, his future career. Yeah. What's nice is the parallels he, he pulls between Lindsay Anderson and, and Patrick McGoohan. He sees them both as sort of gentlemen rebels, doesn't yes, he? Yes, yes. And, and of course, uh, Lindsay Anderson uses uh, violets at the end of If. Well, e- exactly, yes. And the parallels between pa- Fallout and If. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting book. And he's a, he's a, he's a fascinating man, Rakoff. So it's, uh, that's worth buying. I think that is out of print now, but certainly... You can get them on eBay. Yeah, well, exactly where so I did. So what year was that published? I'll tell you now. Uh, this was actually written in 1998. And published by Batsford, BT Batsford Limited, and and I'm pretty sure that David Barry had a had a help in hand in this. Yes, he? yes, he mentioned that, didn't he, in the Living in Harmony episode? Yes, and uh, a fine a fine book it is too. Okay, next on the list is The Prisoner, an illustrated history written by Andrew Pixley. Mm. This came with the 2017 set, the um, the Blu-ray. It's got set. the same graphics, hasn't it? So, yes, which I'm is the, the white, and then with McGowan's face, with the, which kind of blends into the village in the background. Yeah, it's a very 60s cover, that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Very, um, Yoko, look like Yoko Ono's designed that. With the 40th anniversary set, you actually got a, a book that we've used quite heavily in this mm. series. Uh, and this is kind of like the, the updated, more hardback with lots of, Photos version. Well, um, I'm extremely envious looking at it now because I don't have that, and, mm. <laughs> and now I now I really do wish I had. So this was published in uh, 2017 by Network, who we've talked about many many times. Go the to their fine website. people at Network, and written by Andrew Pixley, and and Pixley is probably one of the I would say one of the the best authorities in the written form on the prisoner. Mm. His book, his book that came out with the 2007, is just full of information. Mm. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's amazing. Incredibly detailed. Yeah. And this is quite a nice, nice progression from that. With the, with the lots of full-colour images, all the production information is there, some rarely seen. I mean, I remember looking at this for the first time thinking, oh, I've never seen that photo before, mm. which is always a good sign. Yeah, it's a yeah, sign of yeah. quality, <laughs> isn't it? It's like they've dug deep and done their research. Look at Canada. There's oh, look at that. It's a, a Bowie. On, uh, yeah, it's got a very Bowie 
on page 91. Uh, some pictures of Magoon directing Fallout with Cannon in the background. Yes. It's things like that I, I just, I'd never seen before. You generally just see the same images, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Of the, like the checkmate's cape and... Uh, well, even on, if you go on sort of Google images and look for stuff, mm. I've been sort of trying to find... I think there should be more prisoner gifts. Yes. Because there's only about sort of six or seven. You want to use a few more. Well, I, I actually bid for a dinky... Uh, Mini Moke on eBay recently. How much? Uh, well, I got to fifty quid and then fifty, I thought, oh, and then wow. I left it. So was it was in a box. It was in a box. I think it was a reproduction box. You want to keep the box, mate? I've been doing that. With my kid, he's getting Star Wars toys yeah. from the, uh, and it's so <laughs> when he when he opens them, da, 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 carefully, yes, carefully, carefully, carefully. <laughs> right, I'll take the Get box. A Stanley knife. Though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so st- try steam it open, son. Steam it open. <laughs> but what's quite nice about the the difference between this book and Pixley's two thousand seven book? It has these little. Images of the press cuttings. Ah, from well. the time. From the time, yeah. So there's, there's one there from 1968. Prisoner justified production costs. And another one there from Variety. What did it all mean? Prisoner comes to an end still hanging over a cliff. So there's lots of things. There's the ATV news sheets, ATV scores, little things like a Smash Comic where the prisoner was spoofed and things like that. So, but they just add, they yeah, just add yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Little essays, little um, prisoner puzzle. Talk about the, the academic side in Canada and things like that. Yeah. I would have been interested. You know, Warner Troyer. We talked yes. about the audience. and He was talking about uh, university degrees in the prison. It would be interesting to see what they actually taught. Mm. Or, you know, the kind of collected essays. Somebody must have done a PhD in it. Yeah. And then we move on to, obviously, a hero of ours, because we would have grown up uh, every Sunday evening, tucking ourselves into bed and watching <laughs> on BBC Two. And there would be Movie Drome, yes. uh, which was basically film school for our yes, generation. Yes. And the, the stuff it introduced us to. Because in, in a pre-internet era... That was, you, that was what you had. Yeah. It, you didn't know what were the classic films. Not just sort of classic, just kind of... Cult, fi- independent... Yeah, you couldn't find anywhere else. Yeah. There was a certain type of Movie drome film mm. as well. Occasionally, they'd have, they'd have things like... It was like, Vin Vendors. Oh. Vin Vendors was like... I think, I think Robert Aldrich was probably yeah. the ultimate movie drone director. They'd have stuff like American Way Off in London on. You're thinking, that's not a movie drone film. Why is that on? Because Cox didn't actually uh, pick them. I didn't right, know this. Okay. I, I would assume it was him that would go, I'll have this one. Yeah. This is a film I saw recently. Because, of course, Alex Cox is George Harrison. That's a <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there's a bit of McCartney <laughs> in there. Well, the, he, he is from Liverpool, though, oh, isn't Of course he, he is, yeah, yeah. Cox. And by this point, he'd already directed Repo Man, which mm-hmm. is, I think, his great favourite. Sid and Nancy. Sid and Nancy. He directed a great film called, a very allegorical film called Walker with Ed Harris, mm. which he actually had as a movie drone film. Oh. And he would do these wonderful introductions each week. Yeah. And clearly, he's a big Prisoner fan. Because and it comes across in that book. I mean, reading the book, I mean, I've got the audio book as well, and mm. you can hear, it's almost like a, an extra long episode of movie drone. Yeah, because I think you've got that connection as well with with his voice and yeah. how he how he kind of uh, describes and explains things is wonderful. His, I, I I still have like lines of his from movie drone that I can still remember. I remember the end of he he do a sign off as well, mm. and I remember him saying next week, <laughs> the greatest British film ever made, Chariots of Fire. Performance, <laughs> which I, I was thinking all week, thinking yeah. what's performance, performance, that, and then performance was on the week after, yeah. and, and that was I a know you love that film, game changer for yeah, me. Yeah. And so noted prisoner fan Alex Cox in 2017, just in time for the 50th anniversary, published I Am Not a Number, mm. published by Chimera Books ah. in Harpenden. Yeah. Wow. yeah, it's an interesting book. It's it's ultimately it is a kind of episode mm. guide. In a way, he does bring that sort of Coxian sort of 
slant to it. A lot of people are quite dismissive of this book because of his theory that number six is a rocket scientist. Oh, <laughs> I think we're giving the ending away. Well, <laughs> well no, you know, we've well, had years to read it. We've exactly, had five years to read it. Crying out loud, if you haven't yeah. read this, you know, why are you listening to this podcast? Yeah. Well, it's, not, it's not just, I think it's because... It's, it, well, it's not a spoiler, it, is it? It's a theory, it's an interpretation. It's yeah. only what we're doing. But it sort of builds towards it. That, that's the kind of thing. It's like, but to be fair to Cox, what he's doing, he has a theory and he's using the episodes and his knowledge of the episodes to build towards that theory. Yeah. That's his personal take on The Prisoner. I think I think maybe the disappointment maybe may lie in the fact that after all the build-up, that's the revelation. And mm. you kind of think, oh, right. And maybe I was looking for something a bit bigger than that. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's an idea. It's a good idea. But I don't think it's kind of a... I've, I've, it's not like I've discovered something about the prisoner, which is going to upend yeah. everything you ever thought about the prisoner. Yeah. It's not about anything you've thought about before. Yeah. It's about this, and you think, Jesus, is, is, maybe it's about sort of the history, has about God. Yeah. Uh, no, he was a rocket engineer. All right. Well, that, that, that's, <laughs> yeah, I know what uh, you mean. It's, it's it's a bit of a damp squib. I mean, it's a it's, kind of reveal, isn't it? Only because it's kind of built up. But the mm. way it's built up, I mean, he's he makes some seriously. Good, interesting, well-observed points. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting theory that he's a rocket yeah. scientist or a rocket. Apparently, there's no such thing as a rocket scientist. Oh, I, I heard. Some, or maybe that was somebody stupid trying to yeah. be. I don't know. You mean a brain scientist and a rocket surgeon? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, maybe his points are pretty lucid. Yeah. But he does use evidence from within the show to back up his theory. Yeah. I and mean, that, that's just that's what we do in academia. Yeah, but that's what we that's what we've been doing in this podcast. Yeah. You know, if that's his theory, it's his theories. It's nothing wrong with it. No, but that's, again, it's, it goes to the core of what the prisoner is. It's open to your own personal interpretation. And you project yourself onto number six. Precisely, yes. You know, so that's, it's as valid as any other book on the prisoner. And we it's... may not agree with it. I mean, you, you know, I mean, my personal take on the prisoner is that he, it's about Patrick McGowan. It's about him. It's not about a, a spy. It's about being a celebrity and you know, having to resign from that life or trying to resign from that life, like Hotel California, something you can never leave. I've always seen the prison as as that kind of thing, but that's not for everybody. It doesn't no. matter. No, my no. mate Andy, he thinks it's about aliens. Great, <laughs> you know, that's his interpretation. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's how he sees the world. I don't know, but it's every interpretation is valid. Yeah, it's not a case of uh, I know what the prison is about because I've read about this. Mm. It's it's once you immerse yourself into it. You can only then. It makes sense on a specifically yeah. individual basis. Well, there was this um, J. Michael Straczynski from, who created Babylon 5 mm. had met Alexis Kanner uh, back in the 2000s, I think, and Kanner had kind of alluded that he knew what The Prisoner was about. People were like, well, <laughs> you know, well are you calling him a liar? Well, no, I'm not calling him a liar. You know, it was that kind of conversation. Yes. You know, I think when you... It's, it's a tough one, and I think... I don't agree that, you know, as, as good as Babylon 5 was and as good a writer as Straczynski is, I don't think you can really hope to say, well, this is what it's no, definitively no, th- about. That's, that's, that's the opposite of the point. Yes, it's, no, I would it's, totally agree. If you discovered that uh, Constable's Haywain was all about corn laws, <laughs> uh, it would stop 
meaning anything because yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah. actually oh no 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 it's not about anything else. Or you're, the Mona you're Lisa. not bringing anything to this. It's yeah. specifically about this. Or the Mona Lisa that is the model he wanted wasn't available, <laughs> so he just got the really kind of unhappy <laughs> housewife. <Yeah. laughs> Told her a mildly amusing joke. <laughs> yeah, a dad oh. joke. Oh, that's, that's quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> right, sit there but, for about eighteen. No, 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 hours. No, hold that smile there. Hold that slightly disinterested smile. I think I've got something here. <laughs> yeah. well, no, the if thing. It's, it's the mystery box, isn't it? It's, it is, and it, and it must remain so. And yeah. I, but if you, if you so no one's no one a no one's cracked it, and no one ever will because there's nothing to crack. No, if once someone starts saying no 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 you, you're you're wrong, mm. it's like oh oh god you're you're it's, it's a I, cult I, thing. Now, I think we've, we've got to apply Occam's razor a little bit here in terms of what is the most realistic and and obvious answer to the prisoners surrounding the mystery. Mm. Is that I don't think McGowan knew himself. I think it was a combination of things that had come together. No. And, you know, and he he did it deliberately that way. It meant something to him, but it was open enough for it to mean something to everybody. And yeah. it, it's uncrackable because only you can crack it in regards to what it means to you. Yeah, and I th- I, th- I think if he specifically meant it to be, you know, like you say, about him and about mm. his, his, his uh, dealings with celebrity, he would have said it at some point. Because that's what, if that's what he meant to say. I don't think he would. I mean, listen to the interviews from McGowan, listening to the interviews with his, his daughter, you know, he was a very personal, very private man. Mm. You know, it might have been a more of a, if I say, yeah, this is all about me, it might have been an ego thing. It might have, he maybe didn't want to appear ego-driven, yeah. you know. But um, And it's more interesting to say, ah, uh, yeah. keep you guessing. Just keep, you know, because it keeps the interest in the show alive. Yeah, you know. But I mean, once I mean, once you discover, or once you grab a theory like that, mm. you can't sort of it, all the other pieces don't suddenly fall into a line. Yeah, uh, it's like ah, oh, look at this. I've, this yeah, I've, yeah. I've, I've found the puzzle. It's like national treasure. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but it never happens like that. No, because because that requires far too much. Production, yeah, and also, I mean, it's it, we know, we know about the way it was it's like the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> yeah. So these, these awful references we're yeah. bringing up, National Treasure, the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> but so, like, imagine, if, imagine if uh, they're in Loch Ness yeah. and they found Nessie to be a, a species of fish that they thought to be extinct. For you know, the mystery would be gone. People would stop visiting in the same way. Yes, you know, it it, it loses that allure, that that mystery. And, and I think that's the, the point of the prisoner, is that you keep it exactly where it is, but you keep it open for the next generation to discover and to interpret. Yeah, and, to and, give do, and do you know meaning what? It's, to. it's going to be fascinating when, mm. in 20 years to see what a kid who was born tomorrow, mm. a kid who was born yesterday, say, yeah. comes up with. Because yeah. this will still be relevant. Yes. I mean, it, it's, it'll still be the, maybe the, the 8K restoration job they've done on it when it's a hologram. <laughs> They'll still be kids. Who haven't even been born today? Going, have you seen this thing, this work of art from mm. the nineteen sixties? I reckon it's all about social media, and, you know, <laughs> yes, they, they, yes. but or what used to be known as social media back before mm. they got rid of it. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> but who knows? And it'll still, it'll still, <laughs> what it's going to be interesting as for us to hear what kids think of it, the way they interpret yeah. it too, and they, and they will because no one will have at, at that point said no, 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 it wasn't about that. It was about. But that's not the thing. There are no gates for the gatekeepers no. to. Uh, <laughs> To, to put a padlock on. Next up is The Prisoner, The Essential Guide. It's probably one of the more accessible books. This is written by Rick Davey, friend of the show. Ah. And published by Coit Media. That's available at coitmedia.co.uk. Now, I picked up this copy uh, for about £3 from the Port Marion Prisoner yes, Shop. Yes, It's, as Rick says himself, it is a little bit more than a pamphlet, really. <laughs> it's... Uh, Rather modestly. Yes. 
But this was published originally in um, this version that I've got was published in 2021, but it was originally published in 2017. But it, it's got some lovely photos within it, and basically it condenses everything you need to know. Really, yeah. It's got all the episode guides, the cast, um, some production about Port Marion, about the Lotus Seven, uh, and it crams quite a lot actually into a very you know we're only talking about. Yeah, it's quite miraculous the way it's done. Thirty that. pages, even I would think. But um, if you if you were if you were to basically say, um, have you ever seen a prison? No. Take this. Take the new Blu-ray set hmm. and have this by your side while you watch it because you'll you want to know a bit more. Have this with you because it's not it's it's indescribably it's unbelievable thinness mm. makes it very very unthreatening but it's absolutely jam-packed yeah but it's a really nice thing to have sat on your lap while you're watching an episode you think, oh i wonder who that was and it'll 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 be in there you could read you could read this in about half an hour yeah but um but it's, no, it's, it's a wonderful appetite whetter i like that there's a lovely photo of don chaffee the director of arrival uh, with a fishing line <laughs> and he's wearing like a fez or something a stripy top Loving life. There are several conflicting stories as to how the idea of using a balloon came about. Director John Chaffee stated that he came up with the idea. Oh, here we go. Uh, while, when calling civil servants a lot of white balloons. Anyway. By, <laughs> by calling civil servants. That doesn't white make balloons. sense, does it? Doesn't make sense. Rick. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> and this includes officially licensed and previously unpublished photographs. Indeed. Well, you say you got that from the prisoner shop. Yeah. Can you get that elsewhere? I think you can get it from coitmedia.co.uk. Get on it. I saw it on Amazon, actually. But um, I was going to buy it, and then I was in the prisoner shop and thought, oh, what the hell? Just... Well, yeah. There's um, an interview that we uh, like bought on, again, from Quartz Media. Hmm. Uh, they do they do the the Everyman uh, documentary as mm. well on, on but they're, yeah they're very good for prisoner stuff. There was an interview and McGowan was talked about. I was asked if he was ever going to do an autobiography. Absolutely not. Mm. Stonewall zero <laughs> chance. So there is no such thing as the Patrick McGowan autobiography. Myself yes. or number one my story. <laughs> but the the closest thing you can get to it uh, is is a book called Not a Number: Patrick McGowan Alive by Rupert Booth. It's um it's 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 pretty well done actually, but and, and interesting as well because Rupert Booth played a part in a later book that we're going to talk about. In, in yes, a bit, a bit yes, of fiction. the Prisoner's Dilemma. So he's got uh, he's got form in this, and it's 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 interesting. He's very very good on again because he kept so many his cards so close to his chest. Mm. It would have been hard to sort of to, to get information about his his early life, but he you know he, he does well in that, and it goes into some nice detail as well with. Post prisoner life, uh, his 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 relationship with Peter Falk, and as McGowan stated to Rob Fairclough back in two thousand and two, that he wasn't going to talk about the prisoner anymore because this came out <laughs> after McGowan died. Yes, yes. So I mean, but I don't think he would have even if he had got him in two thousand five, two thousand one. Mm. I don't think he would, he would have got an interview out of. Well, like he said uh, to Robert Fairclough on the phone. Yes, I've stopped. Stop talking about the prisoner, Rob. <laughs> no, it's Patrick. It's Pat. So, but I mean, it's interesting to to because obviously we get so involved in the prisoner, you forget about this, his his second, well, the mm. post prisoner career in America, so, and and it's good for that as well. Yeah, and Booth, I think Booth's also an actor. Yes, so he it's comes it, he, is, he yeah. comes at it from that point of view, and I think he, he speaks quite movingly about how becoming obsessed with the prisoner and and mm. McGoon sort of influenced his life. He was a hero, and it doesn't um, it doesn't do some soft pedal. It does go into his. His boozy ways, and he's, he's obviously he's not. He wasn't a, a he wasn't a saint, but I, I, I couldn't 
at the same time describe him as anyone as a sinner. Yeah. He disliked the sauce. Um, <laughs> and it was a big heavy, as you see in that, the Canadian interview, loved boshing his cigarettes. Yeah. Did well to get to a ripe old age. But he, he, he was hard to see how you could idolise a guy like Patrick McGowan. He was, he was a... But that was the culture at the time. People did smoke and drink. Of course, yeah, yeah. But it, and it looked great. Yeah. <laughs> Just on that one Troyer interview, there's like a haze of uh, <laughs> cigarette smoke, isn't there? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny enough, you should say that, because I, I was watching the excellent uh, Pistol on Disney Plus this weekend. Yeah. Danny Boyle's yes, kind of yes. biopic on the Sex Pistols. And there's like a character smoking in <laughs> most of the scenes. And you forget, you know, we don't really see it on television anymore. And you only really see it in period dramas set kind of pre-2000, don't yeah. you? Well, it's one of the... Sometimes you watch these period dramas and no one's smoking and you're thinking, are you kidding me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, surely. I remember in in Wales, they brought the smoking ban in ahead of England. Yes, they did, yes. In the restaurant we actually brought it in a year before that, actually. But um, it was, Very was, Roger Moore delivery there. Well, exactly. Was he working for you at the time? He was. Can I go to a... Can I go It's a rather revolting drink, actually, but... We keep mainly sugar. We're keeping this. <laughs> but he, um, but um, we had to go to a wedding in Cheshire afterwards. <laughs> Sorry, and um, I couldn't believe it. I I'd, I'd, uh, popped in for a, a pint mm. uh, just before the wedding, and everybody was smoking in there. Yeah. And in the f- two months of, of suddenly, the idea of smoking inside a building was was immediately unbelievable. Yeah. Walked in there, and everyone was puffing. Was like, oh my god! I've walked. Through a wormhole into yeah, 1972, yeah. it's absolutely amazing. But but to get back to the book, I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a nice. To be honest, it's the closest thing you're going to have. Um, another nice accompaniment, even though it's uh, it's not a book as such. But there is a graphic novel. It's Brian Gorman's Everyman, which basically is similar in the autobiographical respect. I haven't seen the graphic novel, but I've I've listened to the audio drama and not technically a book but it's a nice companion piece I think if you want to find out more about McGowan's life, his, his kind of backstory, his career. The Gorman one is very good on the, the earlier years and I think the Rupert Booth one then moves on after, a post-prisoner doesn't it? Yes, as well. yeah. Because he had, I mean he had an interesting career, I mean stuff like Escape from Alcatraz, mm. you think well A, it's a great performance in a a, great casting, but what a great cast and how good he was. But the the, you know prisoner Prisoner becomes the prison guard. Yeah, what a (laughs) what a lovely touch. But Scanners, Scanners, he pops up in 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 interesting, fascinating ways. You know, but Mm. um, there's one. I mean, one passage, one passage really sort of stuck out to me. Mm. It was it was a quote from an Irish writer, Paul Duane. He says, "I once uh, met an LA-based actor, stroke bartender, who told me that McGowan." came to his bar each morning and drank through till lunchtime silently. He also told me that McGowan had, some years back, been told that one of his kids had an incurable illness. Refusing to accept it, he threw himself into an amateur medical research and managed, after some years of labour, to find a cure for what ailed his kid. And then he started drinking again, which is a kind of very believably McGowan-ish thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> that he would sort of... He, he was, he'd, he'd just get possessed by projects, which he would then... You know, do yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think he, I guess maybe he was having. I don't know. It's interesting having achieved this extraordinary thing, and maybe not even realised it was extraordinary. Maybe he'd been sort of underwhelmed well, a little bit. This is why I liken Magoon to Kubrick in that mm. respect, because Kubrick came up with an idea and he researched to the nth degree. 
he basically covered every single point and then produced masterpieces. Yeah. And Magoon has done the same thing. He's covered so much with The Prisoner. And I know a lot of it was out of his control and a lot of people had their say and, you know, we don't know what was uh, well, McGowan's and what wasn't half mm. the time. But but to, to then sort of, after that, he's basically just an actor. Mm. Well, I, he did have projects, didn't he? But maybe it was time, maybe it was motivation. He, yeah, he never he never had his hands on, on, on the wheel to, you know, to the same extent again. No. Maybe you, it was because of the fallout from... The, Fallout, the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I mean, the the Columbo stuff I think is fascinating, and he goes into a, quite a bit with that because he directed a lot of those as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I would recommend this. It, it's well written. It's uh, it goes through at a pace. At, at the end of the book, you can see why anyone would want to write a biography of of Patrick McGowan. And our final factual book is the Prisoner Handbook by Stephen Paul Davis. Now, this came out in two thousand two, uh, the thirty fifth anniversary. This is. Um, it, was, it was the octopusy to uh, to Robert Fairclough's "Never Say Never Again." Yes, <laughs> a nice uh, Bond connection there. Yeah, this one, um, this one from surface level. I mean, there's a lot of episode guide information in there. If you dig a bit deeper into this book, there's there's actually a lot of very very good content in this book, and I think it's one of those books that maybe doesn't appear on the radar a lot as being, you know, the prisoner books to read. Yes, yes. Uh, and I think it deserves a lot more credit than it than it gets. Now, it's it's got the usual episode guides, but it's got a lovely introduction by Alex Cox. It's got some information on the production of The Prisoner, the usual things, uh, episode guide, that kind of stuff, uh, the themes of The Prisoner, keeping the series alive as a chapter fan culture, updating The Prisoner, and then it, a little bit about McGowan's career after the prison so we're talking about Columbo and stuff like that but there's a lot of things like script pages mm. from from episodes as uh, call sheets every man films call sheets from free for all so a shooting script from fallout exterior the truck day and that's scene 163 the barred side of the cage within p number two and the young man in full voice <laughs> so yeah it's in terms of um Rob Fairclough's book. I mean, Rob's is is obviously more colourful and uh, accessible, I would say. But I think this one is, if if you were doing any serious reading on the prisoner, um, I would definitely recommend yeah. the prisoner. Would it, would it be? Handbook. It's not so much an insult to say that, that this is for completists. I th- no, I wouldn't say it's for completists. I, I think it's a perfectly accessible book. Yeah. I think there's. I mean, I quite like the fact file section, ah. things like that, uh, which tells you little information about the episodes. But it, it's it's very accessible in the way it's written, and there's a lot of interesting information in there. I think where it kind of not so much fails but lacks compared to the Fairclough book is that this has less... This is your standard book with the, the insert... Yeah, the featuring 24 a collar of photographs. Yes. Prisoner also inspired fan fiction. Was that, was that fairly common at the time? I see. No, I know it, it was. It was no. I say fan fiction. It was an official release. This was the. Yeah, I wouldn't call this book fan fiction. There were three official sort of tie-in books. Uh, the first one was written by a guy called Thomas M. Dish. He was a very mm. sort of uh, respected science fiction author. He was uh, a recipient of several awards, nominations, and whatnot. Uh, so he was charged with doing this. I think I've I've heard that he basically got given three episodes and said, watch these. Yeah. And that was his basis. And so you read it and you're thinking, that's not quite right. And there's, there's, But 
when you, when, you, when you accept that he he wasn't exactly steeped in the law, yeah. uh, I have read somewhere that he was it, basically in, in the middle of projects. Uh, well, this pays, <laughs> as I'd imagine a lot of a lot of decent writers writing stuff like yeah. this. To be honest, it's a, uh, a little bit. Um, it's it's not something that he would have bragged on his CV, but it's interesting. But it's um, slightly infuriating. There, there were three books published. There See, were three. This this was the first one, and, and it was it was actually it was called the Prisoner, but it was republished uh, as the Prisoner. I am not, not a, a number. number. Yeah. I'm a free man. And then the second one is called Who is Number Two. And fascinatingly, the third one is called A Day in Life. And yeah, that was written by Hank Stein. Well, no, just linking back to you, uh, all what we talked about with A Day in Life. Ah, before, yes, yeah. yes, of course. What I quite like about the French version of this book is mm. it has this wonderful kind of Salvador Dali esque, yes, inspired cover. Which is a bit more interesting than the um, the actual content. Let's be honest, <laughs> it, it's pretty rubbish, isn't it? I mean, some people like it, but it takes far too many liberties. It does. What well, I got this in I remember the shop I bought this mm. in, in Bournemouth, reading on a train. It's basically he's recaptured. Basically, Fallout was a drug-induced attempt to sort yeah. of get it, and it's so. But he's basically. I remember they they kidnap him on a train to Carmarthenshire or something like that, and the uh, <laughs> so he so he ends up back in the village. But it was that aspect of it's like we've talked about before. There's yeah. there's no allegory. No, no, it's it the is mechanics. the spy. Yeah, it's the spy thing. In I, fact, in fact, in the second and third ones, uh, which I, I I skim read the second one, mm. and I have not read the third one. But he's John Drake. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so immediately, maybe I think that's the point I started skim reading it. Yeah. But they, they also make liberties. I mean, the, the, he now lives in the Upper Barclay Mews. The village butler now is called Sancho, which obviously is an yeah. allusion to uh, Don Quixote, isn't it? The, the uh, but but unforgivably, unforgivably, Thomas M. Dish, he describes the car as the locust, K-A-R 120 six zero. As an MG, what were you thinking? I'm, yes. So they're, they're, they're intriguing, but I don't, as a modern gatekeeper of fan fiction, I, w- I wouldn't say it's canon. No. And I'd say it like that. I mean, it, they, I mean, a lot of people enjoy these books because I think we've got to also remember at the time, with, with you know, because there was no. Uh, yeah, yeah, video yeah, yeah. And, it, it would have been, but it, it reads like fan fiction. It reads yeah. like sort of. Uh, I mean, the, the, the Doctor Who had the Target novels, which were usually, a lot of the time, written by the writers of the episode. Mm. So what they could do, people like Terence Dix, could expand on the story and add all this, you know, little bits of exposition here, and more character development there, to give the story a little bit more depth and breadth. Yeah. What's happened here is, like you say, it's somebody with very superficial knowledge of the prisoner <laughs> trying to write something <laughs> that feels like the prisoner... That will appeal to people, but has no understanding of what the prisoner's about in the first place, <laughs> and that's the key. And, and I think that says a lot about writing and storytelling. You've yeah. got to know the theme of what you're talking about. You've got it's got to have that theme, otherwise, yeah, you know. And it's and it, but it's it's almost it goes back to being a a, a bre- literally a breakout. Mm. So I I, I, may, I don't know if I'm misremembering this, but I'm sure in one of the books they stage a a, a Shakespeare play with which. They can, from which they can use that as an, uh, an escape bid. Well, that's just a, that's any excuse to crowbar well, English. Isn't that a deli- that's a steal from a film? Uh, I think Richard Todd was in it. And yeah. I think Michael Caine had his first role. But they put on a play yeah. so they can escape from behind the stage. <laughs> yeah. 
So do you think that's just a deliberate attempt to kind of crowbar like English references in? Yeah, Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like you ever see the Avengers, as in the the film version with I, Uma Thurman. I, I, I and, did. I did. Where it was kind of like, let's throw everything the iconography of the Avengers in, but miss the whole point. See, I could talk about that film for hours mm. about how. Please don't. No, no, no. About how they, <laughs> this, how they got it. This, oh, how they got it wrong. The specifics of how they got yeah, it wrong. Yeah. They got absolutely. The only thing they got right was Ray Fiennes. Yeah. Because the, he was just perfect. Absolutely everything else. It's almost like you. Could, this the actual specifics of how they got it wrong yeah. were were fascinating. But but everything, everything. Well, I mean, one example I can think of is so murder she wrote. Mm. is essentially Miss Marple. Yes. They're the same idea if yeah. you break it down, aren't they? I mean, there's, you know this. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rip-offs and re-imaginings of the same stories. I think the seven basic plots, yes. as, as they say. And it's how you do it. You've got to understand what the core theme of the idea is and build upon that. And I think that's why The Truman Show works as a prisoner-esque yes. film because it relies on the themes of the prisoner, but not the, the visuals. Yeah. Uh, and this is, is almost like the Avengers film. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, what do people associate with the Avengers? A woman in latex kicking ass and lots of weird stuff going on. And it, lots it, of English things thrown in. Let's get a phone box in there. And a, it and was a like they'd watched two episodes from the tail end of the Emma Peel. Yeah. When it's things started, the mission highly improbable when they started <laughs> shrinking things. Yes. And it was like, well, that's the, that's the Avengers. Uh, were there any warp or some, but it doesn't matter. Can you start writing it immediately? <laughs> I mean, there were all sorts of things went on in the background. It was a, it was a disastrous everything. But yeah. uh, well, but what a pity because the Avengers could easily be done again. Yes, um, but why would you want to do it? Because it actually evolved really well over the series and into the new Avengers. Yeah, but this is a problem, isn't it? It's like people, as the famous theatrical quote is, always leave them wanting more. Mm. You know, and then you get people like like the Beatles came back in 1995 and did Free as a Bird. And it was like... Uh. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I know. But it was like, at the time, it was like, they were beaten to number one by Michael Jackson. I know. I can believe... <laughs> that song had been out for three weeks as but, well. But it was, it was like kind of, everyone expects this. That's like ABBA at the moment. This kind of, you know, everyone's wanted ABBA to get back together and to, to carry on. And well, there's, there's very mixed reviews about it, about the, about the new album. It's like you, some things you should just leave alone and let them stand alone. And yeah. I think The Prisoner is definitely one of those things. And I think The Avengers is another. You, you don't want to continue them. You don't want the remake of them. No, I... See, I... I the, prisoner, I the Prisoner, definitely. See, I would say, no, leave it alone. If you're going to do a new series of The Prisoner, I think you need to get rid of everything apart from the core idea. Oh, no, I, I, I don't think The Prisoner... There shouldn't have been a remake. No. But well, this is why I say that The Truman Show, for me, is The Prisoner. It's a remake of The Prisoner. Yeah. Because I it has I, all the themes of the prisoner in a 20th century context, or as a late 20th century context. Like yeah. Peter Weir did that deliberately. There's even a scene towards the end where everyone stops, mm. you know, which is very much like that scene in Arrival. Yes. Oh, no, uh, yes, and also the bit in, uh, I was thinking of, is it Dance of the Dead at the beginning? Yeah. When they all just kind of move. And it's a nod to the prisoner, but it's that themes of identity, of self, of, of who we are, the solecism within. There's so much within the Truman Show, but it doesn't need to say, right, we're setting in Port Mary and you're going to wear pipe laser and we're going to have Rover chasing you. No. It doesn't need it because it will be rubbish. True. I suppose the most famous um, uh, prisoner comic or kind of graphic, no graphic novel is, is, is Shattered Visage. It's I would like by... to say, listeners, this is my second copy. Look. 
let, let's just get this out of the way. I, I lent the first copy to somebody in the mid nineties. <laughs> is only do you know what I hey the thing is I lent it to somebody else. <laughs> For the same reason, you know, I wanted to spread the word. It's okay. but It's all right. No, no, no. I, right. hate, I hate, I don't want to be that guy. You know when you lend somebody to say, hey, I'll give you back. Yeah, no problem, no problem. Sorry, mate, I've lost it. I gave up hope in the early 2000s. I'll buy you a Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, thank God, because this is still whole. Anyway, if it, if it was the original, it would have fallen apart by now. But yes, graphic novel by Dean Motter mm-hmm. and Mark Asquith. With David Horning and uh, Richmond Lewis. And this was 1988. Dean Motter was famous for a Canadian comic called Andromeda in the late 1970s, which adapted the works of uh, writers such as Arthur C. Clarke. I think that's his, his biggest claim to fame. And then, of course, in 1988, he produced Shattered Visage. Indeed, the authorised sequel to the acclaimed television series starring Patrick McGowan. Star- starring Patrick McGowan and Leah McKern. Mm. He bumped up to uh, above the title. Well, you can see uh, on, on the cover... Uh, the clouds kind of form the images, don't they, of uh, yeah. the new female number six, which is quite progressive for 1988 as well. Yes. Is it Alice? I know her surname's Drake. Yeah. It's kind of... Um... <laughs> but imagine imagine if that had been produced today. Imagine if that was television and they had a female number six. You would have people saying, oh, it's the woke agenda. <laughs> but no, this was 1988. Yeah, This yeah. is 34 years ago. You know, that Motta's thinking, actually, the new number six... Is I mean she's a, a she's a spy, isn't she? But she's also a... been digging up information about the village. Mm. And she goes on a she's a bit of an adventure. She goes yeah, on a she's on a yacht and she and washes up on the beach. And what's the first thing she finds? A penny farthing. Yeah, and of course she's in the village. And uh, it's been deserted. It's it's, it's overgrown, all gone isn't it? It's like ruin. Chernobyl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, well, which would have only happened two years before this came out. That could have been a there's a huge explosion at yeah, this. Yeah. So maybe that's a, a reference. And of course, um, then the bearded. And who's still Character. there? <laughs> because a bit like the Thomas Ditch thing, it's uh, it kind of I don't say retcons, but it's sort of it, it's it's after Fallout, mm. and he hasn't escaped. Yes. He's still there. In yeah. fact, the first time we see him in this rather wonderful illustration, he's actually sat fully bearded, sat in number two's chair, yeah. saying, "You are number six. He's taken on the mantle of number he has, two, yes. hasn't he? And number two's there, very often dressed as Napoleon. <laughs> So it's a bit of a... There's know. a lot of allusions to the series. The one thing I kind of grated on me a little bit is the use of some of the dialogue within uh, Shattered Visage. The callbacks to the original yeah, ones. It's kind of it's it's almost like dialogue that sounds prisonerish but doesn't actually give you any depth or meaning, yes. if you know what I mean. There's, there's some lines of dialogue in there that is, is basically, I think, just put in there to sound prisonerish mm. but without any kind of link to allegory or any deeper meaning. Yeah, that's not to say it's not a fantastic piece of work. It's I remember reading that about five times in a row. I just thought it was amazing, and I still think it's it's a wonderful piece of you know the artwork and the story. I love the story. Yeah, it lends a bit more to Alex Cox's inter- interpretation, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. Uh, towards the the denouement of the of the story, where they want to get in there because the you know nuclear weapons are still stored there. Yeah, it's um, I mean McGurn signed off on it. Mm. I, I think he had to. <laughs> I, I, wanna, I mean, there was a condition. I think ITC said, well, you better get his permission. Yeah. And, he's, and he said, yeah. I don't know if he said, said yes, like, yes, take it away. Yeah. Or whether he, uh, there was never a sort of full-throated, uh, I endorse this. But that, I mean, the fact that it is official, you know, and McGowan would have seen it, we, we hope, gives it that, that, that weight. It does. That credos, doesn't it? Do you know what reminds me of a little bit of mm. um, 2010? 
right. the film. Which isn't a bad film. No, no, it's it? it's um I quite enjoy it. I've I've got a lot of time for Peter Hyams. Yeah. Because he'd made Outland before then, mm. and that's one of my absolute favorite it's the only it's almost like a direct sequel to Alien because mm-hmm. it's the only the way it combines that sort of blue collar yes, work yes, yeah. environment in the same way that with science fiction, like in Alien when they're all chatting around <laughs> complaining about, about how, how crap yeah. the coffee is and they want to get a pay rise. Yeah, it actually feels like you're in a proper yeah. you know trucker's cafe, yeah. which they never ever again got back. Yeah. When, when they did Prometheus, I thought, well, at least Ridley Scott will bring back that that you feel you feel like these are human beings. Yes, but uh, no, no, not not at all. Whereas Outland, it is, it, it's, it, it kept that. Yeah. It feels like a recognisable sort of it's, blue it's colour reco- environment in space. A recognisable human condition, isn't it? Yes. You know, and that's, it, so it people feels... gossip, people bitch about their lives. People, and, and that will go on into the 22nd yeah. century and the 23rd century. And you transfer it with, but somehow most people, when they do anything set in space, mm. they have, it's just people talking like, not like, like no human being you've ever no like Star Trek or the Technobabble or yeah, yeah it is but it's like this, well it's it's fun better to imagine what it'd be like if if Ted from the uh, right Red Lion in uh, <laughs> down the road well that's he Red Dwarf up... isn't it yeah that's Red Dwarf for you Red Dwarf and Alien have that in common <laughs> but Peter thing with 2010 mm. which uh, <laughs> for good reason I suppose people a lot of people call it ten past eight. Um, <laughs> Very good. Is the uh, is the fact that it, it's as a, as it, it kind of works. It's it's a good mm. film, but it basically takes it, it looks at something like two thousand one and goes. You can't. Well, well, do you know what the best thing about two thousand and one is? The way the spaceship works. <laughs> it's, well, that, it's, it's, you're taking a film that is is all about. It's almost like how it's an, an explanation of mm. God. It, the themes in two thousand one are. It's just beyond yeah. the scope of You can't of make a brains. sequel. You can't make a sequel to 2001. Whereas the sequel is literally about sort of, uh, do you know, wouldn't it be great to have a, a computer that talks? <laughs> and it's that. It's about the mechanic. Even the when Because um, yeah, that's the plot, isn't it? They have, they go and find the ship and they, they go and... <laughs> yeah, and it, but it's, there's no sort of uh, Roy Scheider doesn't turn into a star child or anything like that. Yeah. It's, and it's, they recast him, didn't they? Because he play, he's played by a different actor in 2001. Dr. Hayward Floyd is the... That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. ...arrives at the, and meets oh, God, Leonard Russer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Leonard Russer, head down there. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that he was in so many Kubrick films. Yeah, yeah. Was Barry it just Lyndon, the two? So, I think, yeah, just the two. Barry Lyndon and 2001. The, the, look on, the look on his face in Barry Lyndon when he's about to shoot the yeah. guy in the duel. <laughs> Very underrated. Kubrick. I think I, I always I always cringe a little bit when I see the like people's ratings of Kubrick's films, and they always put Strange Love, Two Thousand One, Clockwork Orange at the top, and Barry Lyndon's halfway down the the pole. And I think mainly because a lot of people haven't watched it. No, and no. it's argue. I just want it's probably my favourite Kubrick film. Barry Lyndon, I love it. It's it's one of I remember the, the day after my stag party. Hmm. It was a bank holiday Monday, and it was on at, at like two in the afternoon. Yeah. Perfect. It's a long film, though, isn't it? But yeah, but Sunday afternoon film. That's what I needed. Yeah. I needed a long film to recover from the hangover, and I thought it was mesmeric. Well, I thought I was going to have to because it's a three hour film. Yeah, it's the intermission in the middle, isn't it? But it, it, I thought I would. I'm going to struggle with this, but I didn't. No, I just sat there, there's watched to struggle it. through. Yeah. It's and beautiful. What a brilliant conceit as well to have somebody who's just gone to basically shown you what the future looks like mm. using the same technology, even more advanced technology, yeah, I think to look what the past looks yeah, like. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely sensational. But back to Chateau Visage. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Another graphic novel is The Prisoner, The Uncertainty Machine. 
written by Peter Milligan, and the artist was Colin Lorimer. And that, that came out in 2018, so it's quite recent. And it's, you know, there aren't that many graphic novels uh, regarding the prisoner. I mean, obviously, The Shattered Visage. Yes. And Brian Gorman's Everyman as well. Now, this one is more in the style of a, a, a modern-day graphic novel. The art style is very much as you would see in like a Marvel or DC graphic novel. I mean, it's beautifully illustrated. Mm. Uh, and it has some beautiful covers as well, which you can't see <laughs> on, uh, on a podcast. But it has at the end uh, a covers gallery, which I'm holding up so Kai can see. Mm. And it has the big finish cover with Mark L. Stop as number six. Mm. And this is one of my favourites there, the, um, the Chris Weston art which is the McGowan running on the beach, pursued yeah. by Rover, and then characters from Fallout kind of interspersed. And there's one of the Jack Kirby ones is in there as well. But this is actually on... I've read this a few times now. On first reading, I wasn't that impressed. And I'll yeah. tell you why. When did you read it? Uh, about three weeks ago. Because <laughs> I wasn't even... I didn't even know it existed. Ah. And I found it on Amazon. I thought, ooh, that's worth a read. So I got it. And the, the difference between this and... Shatter Visage is, is they're both products of their time. So Shatter Visage obviously is still in the 80s. They've got the Cold War. Uh, whereas this one is, is more up to date with information as mm. being weaponized, as we, as we see today with social media and various other things. So this is more of a, a take. But on first reading, I thought, yeah, they're trying to crowbar a lot of prisoner references in here. Then I noticed on second reading that has actually a lot more depth to it than that. And I think these visual elements are just there as touchstones for the casual prisoner fans. But there's some lovely allusions to the artwork in Chateau Visage in this as well. I don't know if that's intentional. There are some odd choices. I mean, there's Rover within this is, is far deadlier. Is that it absorbs and and literally absorbs people? Yes. And there's a, there's a frame where you can see the skeletal remains. Oh, it's a bit of like a the blob from 1988. Yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, um, and also it pays a little bit of a tribute to Colony Three as well. There's some elements with the uh, double decker bus to the village and things like that. So th- this is actually pretty good, and I, I, I highly recommend this Uncertain Machine because it's a lovely piece of art. Yeah. But it also it deserves. A revisit. It's something you've got to read a couple of times mm. because you can see Peter Milligan clearly knows the prisoner and clearly loves the prisoner. Yeah, it's not just a Thomas M. Dish, you know, <laughs> attempt to kind of you know create something. And of course, it brings the story up to the modern day. Yeah, and has the allegory within it as well, so it keeps its touchstone. I mean, there are visual elements. I mean, the, the, I'll, just, I'll just read you the introduction to, sure, to sure. it. In the 21st century, the global currency is no longer oil or gold, but information. Mm. And he who possesses it possesses the world. The other thing I noticed, which is quite lovely, is in the, on the first page, the prisoner created by Patrick McGowan and George Mark Stein. Well, it, it was. I, mean, I, I think, isn't that the, basically the official line? Yeah, well, I think to by, at least by today's standard. Now, that's published by Titan Comics uh, from an original plot by David Leach and also special mention to Joanna Lafuente as the colourist and Simon Boland, the letterer. It's quite a, an impressive piece of work. Full colour throughout. I think it was published originally as a series of um, separate chapters, a little bit like Shattered Visage, and then it's got some sketches, some pre-production sketches at the back, some information about the writers and... Uh, Artists, and it focuses on MI5 agent Breen, 
who becomes the new number six. Um, and then the the other one we've got is uh, The Prisoner's Dilemma. And this is by Jonathan Blum and Rupert Booth again. Before mentioned. Yeah, with a foreword by J. Michael Straczynski. And this was published by Powys Media back in 2005. It's a lot better than the the three that were published, the Thomas Dish and Hank Stein ones. Yeah, so um, this is quite an interesting one, The Prisoner's Dilemma, is that it actually knows more about the series than than the the original three novels. It's it's, It's an entertaining read. It has a lot of pop culture references there, a lot of references to the episodes as well. It's it's always going to be a challenge, I think, writing a prisoner novel mm. because it, I don't know if it's something that translates to literature very well. I think the prisoner relies on so many things, on the visuals, on the themes within the visuals, is that you've kind of, I think you've got to rethink it a little if you want to write a prisoner novel. Yeah. That's just my opinion. No, I, I think I, this does an admirable job. It's it's not perfect, but it's an entertaining read with a good story, you know. And and it's got a beautiful cover on it by Alan Bednar, and the whole thing was designed by Robert Fairclough. Ah, and the cover is the prisoner's house, and it's almost like a sand dune yes, has, has created around it. But uh, it's a beautiful piece of art, actually. Yeah. But, so they're the main ones. So the, the, so a few more notable mentions. So we've got the prisoner original scripts, volume one. Uh, edited and annotated by Robert Fairclough. So the, the, this was published uh, around 2005 and it has uh, Arrival, Dance of the Dead, that kind of thing. George Mark Stein's outline for the series and a, a full script for an unfilmed story called The Outsider by Morris Fine. Yes. Which is the one about the pilot yeah, that's crashes. Now, I used to have this and I lent it to someone. Not, not me. No, it wasn't you, Kai. It's somebody else. They know who they are and I still haven't had it back. But volume two of this is going for silly money on eBay. No. Yeah. So if you can get a hold of a copy, <laughs> or if Robert Fairclough is kind enough to lend it to you, um, then, yeah, it's, the, the volume two is going for silly money oh, right. on eBay. The other one I think we, we should give a mention to is The Official Prisoner Companion by Matthew White and Jaff Raleigh. And that, came, that was one of the earlier books, wasn't it? Okay. Where they postulated a the seven episodes that Magoon envisaged, and he took a bit of umbrage to that, didn't oh. he? It may be there, seven. It wasn't mine. <laughs> yes, that was. I've not actually read that one. So when did that? Was that was that the the first Prisoner Companion book to come out? I think that came out in the eighties. I mean, there are other Prisoner books available. Yeah, indeed. And there are and there are books also that contain information about the the Prisoner without actually being directly about the Prisoner. Uh, some mentioned for Playboy's Spies and Private Eyes, which has some essays on the Prisoner. Uh, Swinging TV by Rodney Marshall, which has some essays on the prisoner as well, uh, as well as other ITC shows as well. But so, you, but you'll find there's a lot of like the Ian Rakoff book. You know, the yeah. prisoner gets yeah, yeah. some uh, spotlights, but not always about the prisoner. But uh, yeah, so I mean, if 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 this podcast has whetted your appetite for the prisoner and you want more. Mm. By God, there's plenty. Yes. Yes. Uh, you, you can... St- I'm expect a deluge <laughs> more in, in uh, 2027. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> so join us next week for our final episode. Yes, it's a wrap. Conclusion and conclusions. Free For All podcast was presented by Kai Ross and Chris Bainbridge. The theme tune was by Gordon Milton. And special thanks to Jemima Duncar for the artwork. Please see you.
You can find us on Twitter at Free For All Pod or on Facebook at Podcast Free For All. <laughs>